This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from David Daniels and Jesse Swigert as they consider hospitality and redemptive community. David Daniels and Jesse Swigert are seminary professors and doctoral candidates. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2021 General Assembly. Let's listen as we consider hospitality as part of teaching and learning for redemptive community. Uh, One of the reasons David and I are doing this is because we are convinced that hospitality is not an extracurricular Christian activity. And nor is it a distinct set of practices that we do sometimes. Uh, Hospitality um, characterizes the heart and the actions of God. And we see that heart and those actions throughout the grand narrative of Scripture. That God made us a home. And through our rebellion... Uh, we became, we who were once family, um, we became strangers. We became strangers to God. We became strangers to each other. We became strangers uh, to creation. And it was then that God started his hospitable mission <laughs> um, to, to call his former children, these strangers, back to him. And um, ultimately, um, you know, the greatest act of hospitality was Jesus coming, um, was Jesus coming to earth as a man. Um, so strangers, now family, now friends, and someday we will be um, all together at that greatest event in history, the Feast of the Lamb. Uh, but for now, we are in the already, not yet um, we, many of us, we are strangers to one another and strangers in various different ways. A stranger isn't just someone who we don't know. It isn't just someone who speaks another language. It is someone who might have a different perspective of life, someone who might be from a different background, um, someone who grew up uh, with a different set of circumstances, someone from a different workplace. Uh, those can be strangers. Those people can be strangers in our spaces, and we can be strangers Um, to them in those spaces. And so what we're going to talk about today as we seek 
to help people learn and grow in the truth and beauty of Jesus Christ? How do we show hospitality to the strangers in our midst? Our work, Tim Baldwin, who we, uh, who we referenced earlier, we will reference him a lot. Um, he identified through his research these four hallmarks of biblical hospitality. Um, David, he's going to just talk us through what those um, four hallmarks are. That is, as you look through scripture, what is, what is common among many of the hospitable accounts the, this is what we see as common themes in the hospitable accounts in Scripture. Thank you very much, Jesse. And so as we think of this hallmarks of, of biblical hospitality uh, that Jesse has um, um, talked about, and we see that in the stories that we read from Scripture, that hospitality, as the case, or we want to see it, is a culturally embedded practices. So... Culture plays a very important aspect when it comes to, to culture, um, to, to hospitality. And the question sometimes when we think of those cultural uh, nuances is to ask, what does hospitality look like in your own context? Because um, Jesse made, alluded to the fact that being hospitable or someone that doesn't look like you, doesn't talk like you, grew up in a different culture or different setting or space, who also be a what? A stranger. So the question we ask under this cultural embedded uh, practices is, what does hospitality look like in your own context? Uh, our panelists just give us maybe a second or two. Begin to think of, when you think of the what Jesse has just said, and I'm just saying now, what does hospitality look like in your own context? Think of something. If you have a piece of paper, write it somewhere. I will ask you to just write it somewhere. Just keep that um, going. But also, when you think of the hallmark that um, um, our brother team alluded to in his, in his research, is that the thing that we see in biblical hospitality, it is strangers, to be sure to emphasize that strangers refers more broadly, broadly in the sense that people that don't look like you, I said that, people that want, come from a different space. So strangers, or when we talk about hospitality here, and we we'll talk about a stranger, we're not just saying immigrants, what? You want to put whatever you want to put on the side. What we're saying with a stranger is that different age group will also be in your own spaces. For instance, if your church, I was highly privileged of talking to someone yesterday, they are trying to be able to, have, they are the older generation in their, older folks in their congregation, and they're trying to be able to bring younger folks into. So the younger people in their congregation, what becomes the strangers? in that space. I'm trying to give us some practical thing. But also to the fact, too, who are those strangers in your own context as you think of the strangers in whatever ministry that you're doing? Those things, culture embedded practices, stranger. But something happens, too, when it comes to what um, Tim alluded to in his own research, is that reversal also happens. Because what happens in, in that space is that when people that don't look like you or are strangers in your own context, you have to do something different. There's going to be a reversal of what? The things that you normally will do to accommodate them into that space. But lastly, too, is that it's also in this biblical hospitality that we discover who God is together. 
what a wonderful picture of what a biblical hospitality is. It's culturally embedded, strangers come into the space, a reversal takes place because we changed some of the things that we normally will do, but then together we discover who God is. Because one, we have started from the beginning that God himself model what it means to be hospitable. Um, so we're going to um, a discussion of Luke chapter 7. Um, in slide. All right, do you, discussion of Luke 7? Yes. All right. If you have Bible, if you have a Bible or a phone with a Bible app, um, if you could turn to Luke 7, um, verses 36 through 50. So Luke 7, 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who, touch, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say teacher, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Mm. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. All right. Culturally embedded practices, love for stranger. Reversals and epiphanies or if epiphany is too big a word, maybe discoveries. Um, in this case, probably epiphany is just fine a word, though. Um, culturally embedded practices. What are some cultural things going on 
in this passage? Is that, well, um, go ahead and just, just shout it out. Washing feet. Yes. No one's washed my feet in a long time. <laughs> um, that, 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 that's something that, that is cultural. That is not common in the culture where most of us um, spend our days, but it is not uncommon in other cultures. So that's a culturally embedded practice. Yes, greeting with a kiss. Reclining. Reclining at a table. Yep. Yeah, yes, yeah. so anointing with oil. That is not something that's, that's commonly done um, in our culture. I, I um, want to make clear. Yes, those are all um, culturally embedded practices. Yeah, oh, thank you. Speaking in parables. Absolutely. Yep, hosting a dinner. Another mm -hmm. one, too. Women are not allowed when men are eating. So who is the stranger? Now, this is not a trick question, mm. okay? There are, this is not, I'm not, you're not going to say something like, no, no, that, that would not be hospitable. Um, <laughs> so this is not a trick question, but, okay, in this passage, what are possibilities about who is the host, who is the guest, who is the stranger? There are, um, there are different possibilities in this passage. What are some possibilities for that? Pharisee as the, okay, Pharisee as host and a stranger. How so? Thank you. Yeah, I wish I'd run the mic back for that one. That was so articulate and well said. Oh, I'll summarize it. Not as well, but that the, um, but yeah, he, um, as he said that the Pharisee is host, it's at his house. So he's the host, but he's the stranger. He's not even following his own culture's most basic hospitable practices. Mm. And Jesus calls them out for it. Jesus as guest and host. Can you, can you say a little bit why? Well, Jesus is the guest because Simon, Jesus is the guest because Simon invited him, but Jesus is the host because he is the one who takes action to welcome both the woman and Simon, who are strangers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What other possibilities? The woman, a stranger, in one sense, um, she's a woman. 
Um, she's a woman in this setting that automatically makes her a stranger in many ways. And, um, but she hosts Jesus. See, this is what, what I love about the gospel is all these reversals are taking place all over the place. I mean, Jesus, Jesus, first of all, if you have Jesus as, <laughs> that, that's already um, just mind-boggling. He is guest and host. He is guest in the creation that he literally created and hosts <laughs> as, as king. But he became guest in that space. And wherever he goes, Jesus is guest host. And this woman, this woman, not only is she a sinner, she's a woman. And Jesus allows her to host him, the great guest host. And in this passage, we also, there's also an epiphany for some, if they would receive it, a discovery that Jesus, even Je that Jesus even forgives sin. We see this often in scripture in these hospitable narratives where strangers come together and this reversal happens. There's a discovery. There's an epiphany. What discoveries would we make when we, if we were to open ourselves to strangers, if we were to open ourselves to those reversals, what work of God would we discover? So um, there are other passages. Other passages that I would recommend um, you reading um, in your own time would be Acts 10. Um, um, another one is John 4, the woman at the well. And take those passages through that grid. So we have these, um, we, we have these hallmarks. Well, how do, we, how do we account for these in our teaching and learning spaces? Um, again, our friend Tim. Um, Tim texted me, by the way. He says he's praying for all of us. Um, our friend Tim, he created a framework uh, that we can use in our teaching learning spaces to help us account for all these things. Um, if you, could you advance to the next slide? Yeah. It's called um, Multidirectional Hospitable Pedagogy, MDHP. Um, the multidirectional um, aspect is important because hospitality can be twisted in such a way that it becomes a means for us to have control and do what we want, isn't it? Like if we are host, we get to set the agenda. We get to decide the menu. We get to decide what happens and when. That, that, that it can be twisted in that way. That's not gospel-centered hospitality. But multi-directional, that's what's so important to remember. That if we, when we seek to be hosts, that we should discover 
what is happening when we let go of a little control in a conversation and someone else, it might end up somewhat because their concerns become primary in the conversation or their needs become primary uh, in the situation. And you may discover, oh, this person, this person has the resources that are truly needed here, not me. Um, so the multi-directional is important. It's, it's not linear, it's not like us host to the guest. It's going all different ways. But here is, this is it, multi-directional hospitable pedagogy. Um, there, is a, there is a cycle of welcoming, restoring, dwelling, and sending. And for, as an analogy, you can think of, you know, when you travel, um, we're not only talking about traveling here, but you can think of it. If you travel to a friend's house, um, you get there, you are welcomed with some cultural practices. It may be a hug, it may be a kiss. Um, depending where you are, you go to Brazil, you are definitely getting kisses. Um, you know, you may not be getting kisses if you go somewhere else. Um, so there's a welcoming. And then there's a restoring. Do you want anything to drink? What can I get you to eat? If it's been a long trip, maybe a shower, maybe a nap, um, there's some sort of restoration that needs to happen. And then dwelling. If it's been happening for a few days, like if, you're, if you are staying with a few days or a few weeks, you know, it starts with the, the really great, pleasant laughter conversation. But after a while, you start to talk about the hard things. If they're a long-term house guest, you may start to have conflict. That's all involved in the dwelling. And then there is sending, which all different cultural um, practices involved in the sending. Um, you, may, you may stand at the door and wave by, or you may, maybe you walk them to the bus, walk them to the car. Maybe get on the bus and ride with them for a little while. Um, those are, you know, you may hug and leave, or you may start to leave and it's two hours later before you actually leave. So those are all cultural practices of sending. So that, that's in travel, but think about our learning spaces. How are the people in our spaces welcomed? How are the people, how are we restoring the people in our spaces? What do they need? What do their bodies need in that spaces, in that, in that space? Do they, you know, do they, are they differently able? Do they need, do they need assistance with hearing? Do they need room for a wheelchair to come through? Um, did they have to walk really far to get there? Is the door too heavy? All these different things. Um, and then how are you creating space for you to dwell together in good things and hard things? And is there a practice of sending, an intentional practice of sending? Thank you very much, Jesse, for doing, um, saying that. Um, I remember growing up, my dad... Um, happens to be a missionary in a remote um, town um, about, f again, in Nigeria. Happens to, it's about 
four hours drive from where my family is. And anytime he's coming back to visit us in the city, he will come with what we call villagers. He will come with people. They haven't seen cars before. This is us about 10 years ago. I'm telling you, that's 10 years ago. I was part of the team that first established a church in that neighborhood, but I couldn't go because I said I was too young. But my dad said, okay, I'm going to go. But he would come with people, and he wouldn't tell us. He drives in, he's just, because I snow, he can't communicate with us once he's in there, until he gets onto the highway, and then he calls, ah, I'm coming with five people to the house. What? <laughs> Where are they going to stay? Where are they going to, and he doesn't, if he's gracious, he tells us one hour before they arrive. <laughs> Sometimes he tells us once they're in, and you find people coming in you don't know, and what happens? We have to create, we have to welcome them. We have to create a space where we become uncomfortable with them because we don't know them. And they are coming in, they've not seen a television before, they've not seen light before, they've not seen anything. And so they make you what our lives uncomfortable because one, we have to create a space for them to feel welcome to rest, go take your bath, and they're wondering, what's happening here? We don't, we don't take baths from where we come from. But as they spend a week or two most time with our dad, because they have to be there to want to see the city, so he takes them around, oh, this is this building, and blah, all of those tents. We get to engage, to get to know them well, their names, their family, how they grew up. But also when, when they leave, we are forced to give them some of our clothes, some of our shoes, or some of the things that they also take back to the village, so they will show that they went to the city with that. And so what that shows for us is that hospitality is inconvenient. It can be unexpected. It requires sacrifice. It's not about building a name for yourself, because my dad didn't want to build a name for himself. It can also not something you want to plan, but it also be something you want to plan. Because for us, on our own part, we want our dad to tell us that he's bringing people. But one of the things we have seen is that, is that hospitality is rooted. It's rooted in God's own hospitality to us because he loved us first. And we are commanded to also love um, others. And so I say that for all of us as we begin to think of that, to understand that it's going to be inconvenient for us to bring people um, into our spaces. Um, so I want to invite people now into to own, share your own experience as it relates to this uh, multi-directional hospital uh, pedagogy, and I'm hoping that we'll plan on going to, I don't want to do, I want to do small groups or? Um, let's, let's hear maybe a few from okay. the crowd, and then we're, with, yes, yes, we're educators, you will yeah. be in small groups pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but does anyone, like, that comes to mind, like, immediately, like, oh, yes, I've experienced that, either... Yeah. Okay, you see. Well, my name is Bridget, and I have a daughter who um, went on a mission trip and was never the same. <laughs> Fell in love with the African people, specifically um, Kenyan. So, um, well, before that, she went to, to school at SMS, and she said, Mom, do you know the statistics of foreign um, all the foreign people never get into, the students never get into a, an American house. 
I said, sweetheart, we have changed the statistics. Thank you. She wanted to make sure that, and, and I wouldn't get any notice. They would show up on my door. <laughs> and I'm like, I would go into, um, I, I thank God so much for my daughter who took me out of the darkness and into the light in more ways than one. But we would, um, you know, have them for holidays. We would have them. We'd take them to church. It was a thrill. And nobody complained that, you know, we had more potatoes than meat, you know, because we had 17 people or, or three people. Um, it, it surprised me so much. But the graciousness of God enabled the freedom to love them well, to love the stranger. And just to look in their face is just like, the 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 engagement it took to love them well and learn and laugh and just do life for the temporary time. She went to college at ABC in in uh, Nairobi and anyway, long story, but she um, she married a man from Africa and um, so we had many nations over. It was a wonderful, wonderful education. Because it was all about, and not just African, but um, Indonesian and any any nationality. It was a blast, and it was confusing to me. And my daughter says, before she, oh, this is so long and crazy. Um, before she got married to Ale, uh, her husband, she said, "Mom, just get to know him under his skin." And I thought, well, what other way is there? You know, because she had to introduce our family to different. And it was such good advice because it's the human person that you see. You know, and anyway, so I don't want to talk anymore, but it's a, it's a fun thing. And the Lord just explodes you with many surprises and has taught me, I don't believe in strangers. You know? I don't. I, I, I almost resist the definition. Well, I think, yeah, I don't believe, yeah, that one, as I, from your story, one, if you're like, wow, that, this just seems really overwhelming. How do you do this? Get to know someone like Bridget's daughter. <laughs> And they will be your one, they, they will bring you along for the ride and, and teach you. Um, oh, no, of course. Of course. Um, yes. Yeah, so, you know, and that's, again, like a reversal, like one of these cool reversals. It was your daughter who was leading the way. Like, it was your daughter who was saying, Mom, you have taught me so much, but Mom, look at this. Look at this. And um, you accepting that. And I think that is so, like, strangers, you're seeing that through the eyes of Christ. Um, and you're, but so through the eyes of Christ, there are no strangers. But looking at who feels like a stranger. Like, even as we seek to include, when they're like, but I, I don't feel included and thinking through, okay, how can we learn from that? And what do we need to do um, so that they, they don't feel like the stranger? And then my neighbors feel like they're in exile. Your neighbors feel like they're in exile? They did. They did. Okay. See? Yes. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, it, animals, sometimes animals are great vehicles for meetings and yes, things like that. So what, now we're going to put you in small groups, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. so you want to do that? Um, I'm not too sure I'm going to do this. Um, you hold this up, my dear. Okay. Maybe groups of three or three to four people? Yeah, four, let's do four. Yeah. So here's what we want you to do. On the fourth page of your handout... Um, it talks about the rhythms of welcoming, restoring, dwelling, and sending. I want you to think about, in your context, who, um, who are the strangers? Oh, and by that, again, the who are the strangers is... There, there's not just the strangers and the non-strangers. Um, but, um, and what are the rhythms that you are doing and that you could do in your local context of welcome, restore, dwell, and send to welcome strangers, whoever they may be? They are probably already in your congregation um, in your own context. Let's come back together. I need one person from at least three groups to just give us some of the things you learn in your group. So in our group, we talked a lot about different examples, but two of the most powerful examples were um, new in-laws. So um, child married someone. It, um, both of them happened to be eloping situations that were, in one case, a complete surprise, another one um, just kind of uh, a little bit fast-forwarded and how um, each of these families uh, loved their uh, you know, new uh, daughter-in-law or son-in-law in a way that was very uh, disarming to them. Uh, and the one that was immediate kind of eloping, the dad said, you stole something from us? And the son was really you know, tense and said, what did I steal? And he said, you stole <clears throat> our daughter from us and our ability to ha celebrate her wedding, to pray for and celebrate that. Uh, but uh, I want you to know that I consider you my son. And that, dis that disarming experience was, you know, embodying a lot of these things. Wow. Thank you very much. We had a lot of really good points, but kind of to summarize it, we were talking about that it's not necessarily a place, but that it more embodies Christ in us and his love flowing through us. So that frees up instead of the Martha Stewart type of model of I have to open my home and look a certain way and have a certain gift. We're all called, as you all so beautifully have shared with us, to extend the love of Christ. And it's, it's more of a lifestyle of hospitality, overflowing Christ's love. And that brings so much freedom. Thank you. Wow, Greg raised his hand and then volunteered me. <laughs> uh, he welcomed the mic and then sent it out. To the, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're applying it just here now. Um, we, were, we, were, we were thinking about how this uh, applies within our churches uh, and being in uh, context. Greg's in Orlando. I'm in New Orleans. I think that uh, thinking about the role reversals, um, a lot of times, uh, as I was saying that my wife and I moved to New Orleans, we were very, very, very young, um, pretty fresh out of college. Uh, and as, um, 
as um, two, uh, two white individuals moving into a predominantly black neighborhood, um, a lot of the things that we, a lot of the roles that we saw ourselves carrying into uh, this neighborhood was one, um, shamefully, of uh, we, were, we were hosts um, and not strangers and guests. That as uh, growing up in resourced and privileged uh, homes, environments, um, context, you never see yourself as uh, a stranger or you never see yourself as a guest um, because that, that very unfortunate mindset is that you know, you are always the one who is resourced enough to, to, to welcome. And so even though we, we would not have uh, been able to like articulate that uh, early on, we saw that, um, that mindset and sort of heart posture uh, destroy and, and thankfully destroyed and then eroded uh, over time. And I think even sort of um, strategies for ministry, Greg was saying that uh, in Orlando, uh, with the desire to reach uh, an impoverished, impoverished area, if his if his church is showing up as as host in that area with nothing to nothing to learn and nothing to grow and not recognizing the the assets uh, the the strengths already present in that area, that there will never be uh, a sort of a um, there will never be a connection a hospitable connection and that seeing the possibility for these reversals. And just seeing um, changing, yeah, changing the posture, uh, seeing yourself as guest, uh, seeing yourself as stranger, um, even though you might not typically see yourself as that, is just a really important way forward uh, in 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 that engagement. So, all right, thank you very much. Um, time, Jesse. Um, just want to bring us back to that our hospitality is rooted in the hospitality of God. It is God's welcome, which enables us to welcome others. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.